In the first episode of this two-part series, Olympic coach Sheila Croxon defined creative leadership as encouraging curiosity and creating an environment that allows people to open their minds and engage with possibility. Welcome to the Water Cooler Effect. I'm your host, Claire carver In this episode, I continue my conversation with Olympic coach Sheila Croxon. Now a sought-after speaker and consultant, Sheila began her career as a synchronized swimming coach, eventually leading the Canadian team to Olympic bronze in 2000 as head coach and as assistant coach leading the 1996 Olympic team to a silver medal finish. In part one, Sheila discussed how to develop creativity in oneself as a leader, how to promote creativity in the environments where we lead, and how to lead creative projects. We also ventured into a more general leadership discussion. This episode picks up where we left off, sitting at Sheila's kitchen table, exploring what blocks creativity in a leader and in those they work with. So many leaders I've seen in action are hesitant to reach out for support as well. So I think that that's, you know, something else that reluctance to do so can also block creativity. So a leader's job is to articulate the vision, but you don't have to have all the answers mm. and you need to surround yourself with the best people to help the team get to where it needs to go. One of the limits to, um, to creativity are actually in this, I don't know if this will be controversial is too strong a sense of what that final product is going to be. And, and I think of the Viagra story, we were, we were talking about this earlier, um, that it started out as it was supposed to be a drug for heart condition. And through the experimentation and through the research and all that, they discovered that well, there was this other use, which was more commercially viable. Um, and if they had been so, if they'd been trying to get the results towards the heart condition, heart condition drug, they would never have discovered what the, the potential of this drug. So I think that's one of the things I think about. It, that's a really good point, Claire. And I think that speaks to the limitless possibilities we were talking about. You have to stay open that something can change. I can you know, tell you that that um, routine in Sydney that's still really famous and that people remember today with the 18 sports in it. In my mind, that, that concept for that routine had been in my mind for four years. And it started out as a running story from the movie Chariots of Fire, but it evolved to becoming way different than what the original idea I had was. And that was when I shared it with the group and we actually started to work on the choreography. You know, at one point we were going down the road of only a few sports and then we just said, you know what, let's include as many as we can. Hmm. And when we did that, the whole thing just opened up. What else piques creativity? Uh, well, you can read many things about this, and I, I think, you know, um, there's some obvious things. Being connected to your heart, spending time with yourself, taking care of yourself, fueling yourself through learning and new experiences. All of these things allow you to have a clear mind and be more connected. You know, I, I can think of a story, and this, this kind of speaks to the self-care or the rest and recovery, you know, piece. But, you know, during the preparation for Sydney... Um, I had, uh, you know, as the leader of this, this, this team with this pressure to 
um, try to get to the Olympic podium. I found that I was working seven days a week because, you know, we were training six and then the, the seventh day I'd be planning for the next. So after doing this for a few months, I was really starting to, was really starting to affect my perception of what the team was capable of. I was, you know, feeling quite negative and I wasn't seeing the possibility. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take a day off and during the week and that's going to be my planning day so that I'm able to take a day off when everybody else does and just clear that day for my family. And it was funny because as soon as I made that one small shift, when I would come back to the pool um, after taking that day away and not and just letting the assistant coaches run with the practices, I, I would come back with a completely different set of eyes. I would see the team as completely capable, full of possibility, and you know it really really helped connect me back to my creativity that's such an interesting point and maybe the the simple part of that is burnout the the risk of burnout if you just work all the time and if you don't have your health what else do you have it's important to make sure you have time away yeah you know and and sometimes having a blank slate or starting something from nothing can really help creativity flourish so you know, I can think of um, after, you know, my Olympic career, I did go back and start this program uh, at, at the Granite Club in Toronto, and it was taking a grassroots program. And I was like, at one point I was like, just a second, why did I say I would do this? I've done all this before. I'm starting over with these kids who can't do synchro. And then I sort of said, you know what, I really looked for what was the, the real reason I was there? What was the higher calling for me in going back and doing this again? And I, I realized that I was there to teach values through the sport. I wasn't really there to teach people how to find a vertical line, straighten their leg, do whatever. It was more about um, you know, teaching the positive values that can't be learned anywhere else. Teamwork, discipline, giving, respect. And this really fueled my creative inspiration to develop that program. So I, I, you know, I often say to people like, you know, if you work at being significant, success will naturally follow because that's going to give you sort of the fuel and the energy that connection to a higher purpose is going to really help fuel your creativity. Hmm. But as a leader, um, sometimes being a creative leader may mean you're taking unpopular risks. How do you deal in those situations or unpopular decisions? In those situations, uh, how do you deal with naysayers? No one likes to be unpopular, but creative leaders need to accept that it goes with the territory. So I think people are naturally resistant to change. You don't, you know, you have to get comfortable with the fact that you're going to rattle some cages from time to time, including your own. And I really think that the key to overcoming these obstacles, again, lays in the power of the vision. If the vision is really strong and compelling, um, it can overcome those obstacles. What, what do they say? Vision is greater than baggage. Hmm. I love that. So the more difficult thing is for leaders to stay focused during these times and not to get sidetracked by the negative BS going on around them. Right? And I think that's really the challenge when you've got people challenging an idea is to be able to stay focused on where you want to go. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that I, it, it strikes me too that 
having a really strong team in those moments, a group of people that understand along with you that larger sense of vision uh, would be really important. Because if you've got these you know, dissenting voices, um, to have that support network to go to or a group of people who understand the vision um, it would seem kind of essential in those moments. For sure. I, and, you know, you really have to trust your intuition and, and you know, and work at staying connected to the vision. But, you know, the dissenting voice is an interesting point, Claire, because I can remember somebody um, telling me once, you know, you do always need to listen to the dissenting voice if the person is on the team. Because, you know, there often is huge value in listening to the dissenting voice because they may have points that you need to consider. So it's really important not to just surround yourself with yourself and people that agree with you when mm -hmm. you're trying to, you know, really get the best out of creativity. Yeah. I have this memory of you um, in around 1999, so working our way up to the Olympics, and you said, um, now it's not quite the dissenting voice, but you said, here, I'm going to give you feedback, I'm going to challenge you, if you need a cheerleader, find it at home. <laughs> and uh, and I always it always struck me that you know my I would go home and my husband was would be someone who would challenge me as well. And I, I thought oh, I need to find a cheerleader, um, and I did elsewhere. But but it was important to have those different voices at the table mm -hmm. and would help me kind of stay balanced. Um, so I appreciate that comment. So you've worked. As a synchronized swimming coach and a consultant to many sports, you've worked a great deal of your career in creative environments where, let's say, where out-of-the-box thinking is encouraged. What advice do you have for, for professionals who are working in businesses that don't necessarily see the value of creativity? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, the greatest breakthroughs I've had in my coaching in my own sport have been learned through my involvement with people and experiences outside of my sport. So I think there is a big message there. You know, everyone wants to improve the quality of their work, their efficiency, find the new magic in the tediousness of everyday chores. So by opening up and listening to people who have accomplished something in another field, we can learn so much that we can apply to our own situation. So when we were preparing, I remember when we were preparing for the Sydney Olympics, um, you know, we were in a really uh, very, you know, difficult position because we were, you know, our, our world ranking was sliding and we were, we had huge pressure to try to get back on the Olympic podium. So we, we kind of decided, you know, we're going to take a really broad approach to our improvement. We're going to involve, we're going to cast the net wide and we started to do things that we had never done before. We started to involve experts and many experts in the field of dance, Pilates, different forms of mental preparation that were really outside the box. So I don't know if you remember this, but do you, I started to bring in guest speakers from different sports and, and you know different fields uh, leading into the games, sort of every th three weeks as we got closer in the final preparation and we had one uh, athlete that came, Kate Pace Lindsay, who is a downhill skier, and her story had a big impact on you. And um, do you want to share it or do you want me to kind of refresh your memory? I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Okay. I do remember. Okay. That. Okay. So um, 
this was a real turning point for the team in my view. So her story was that um, she had broken her wrist, I believe, a few months before a major World Cup where she had sort of, you know, her goal was to win this event. And everybody around her and her team, when she suffered this injury, started to say, you know, maybe you should change your goal, like, you know, maybe you should, you know, whatever. And she was like, forget it, I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. And if you're not with me, you're not on my team. And now then she went and she won this World Cup. And this story reached you in, in a very meaningful way because we had been really working up to that point on building the belief that we could, you know, go for the gold. And the day after she spoke, you came in with a little laminated card for all of your teammates and gave and your coaches and gave it out and it said, we are going for gold. And that was a big shift because there, I can remember some of the more inexperienced people on the team going, well, if Claire thinks we're capable of, you know, getting the gold, maybe we are. And there was a huge shift in belief at that point. So I think that just really speaks to the fact that not every experience, speaker, whatever, will reach everybody. But even if you can reach one person in your team, it can result in a huge shift in thinking. Mm. So I vividly remember her coming in and, and I was sort of, um, I, I remember thinking, I'm not sure how much she's going to add to this, but it will just, we'll just be motivated. It will be a mountaintop experience and then we'll go back to our regular routine and being very personally struck by her sense of belief against all odds. And, uh, and that kind of goes against my nature too. And I still have that card. So mm-hmm. I still have it remembering, okay, there, there, there is a possibility for shift in belief and how powerful that can be. Um, and one thing that I've been thinking about in terms of creativity, because as I mentioned at the beginning of uh, uh, the first discussion that we had, creativity can be, uh, can sort of be a bad word, or not a bad word, but a, a avoided word in certain corporate environments, because they, you know, without the, def- the real definition, people don't see it as um, important in business. And I'm starting to see increasingly that without creativity, leaders and teams get stuck and uh, if we look at creativity from the lens of the lens of possibility the lens of exponential growth and belief now that you you've brought that story up um, it can be hugely powerful yeah you know um, Claire I just want to touch on on something I think this is really really important for anybody working to inspire and get the best out of um, others but creativity really thrives when the team truly owns its own vision. And actually, other than the choreography aspect in my work, it's a sport that requires a high level of conformity when you think about it. You want every member of the team to basically look the same, perform as one. So it's actually kind of ironic, um, you know, that it's got this creative component because it's it's almost like you've got two opposite things at work. So. It's even more important in these type of work cultures to work to find opportunities to exercise creative leadership. And I think that when you create an environment that honors individuality, celebrates and recognizes what each person brings to the team, especially in a professional organization that requires everyone from the outside, anyone to be somewhat a clone of the next person, 
that's really special and it's only then will the team be able to perform with you know complete conviction and confidence and in a winning way so ownership is is you know i can remember when the i sort of passed there was a major shift in our team's preparation and it, it happened after we had qualified for the games and the qualification tournament was a disaster for us i mean lifts fell I mean, we we really were not a high functioning team, you know, and that and I was like, kind of like, oh my gosh, we have so much work to do. We came back from that event and I sat you guys down and I can remember saying, you know, I want you to write, each of you to write your personal vision for what your performance looks like at the Olympic Games. What does it feel like? Um, what are people saying about it? You know, and everybody did it independently. And we took all of those things and we put them into one document because there were so many similarities. Everybody was saying sort of the same thing in a different way. But we put all, everybody's words into one document and I gave it to you guys and I said, here's, this is your collective vision for your performance. And that became the list. Uh, I didn't really need to coach after that point because you guys started to drive the process. So on a weekly basis, you'd sit down with that list. And the question was, what do we have? What do we need? So we went through each thing. And if we have it, how are we going to continue to build on it? And if we need it, how are we going to get it? And we were still moving things from the need side onto the have side, right up until the performance. But it was you guys saying, you know what, well, we really need to do more of this. So next week, in our training plan, we need dot, dot, dot. And that was when the team really started to own its vision and it really started to soar. What I love about that memory, and certainly it's applicable to a business setting, is that you as a creative leader helped draw out the individual voice. So the question you were asking each of us was the same question, but we were given a chance to voice our individual to, to put our own voices out there, and that contributed to sort of the collective. Um, and that was, that was really powerful, because it didn't feel like you were being consumed by somebody else's vision, but it was, here's how I voice my, my vision, or this vision, and all my teammates do, and I've been able to contribute to it. And that was really powerful. It mm -hmm. didn't just come from it on top, right? Mm -hmm. It was sort of um, the group contributed. Love that. Yeah, everything, everything begins with an idea and every field, I think, you know, coming back to your question on this point, you know, you know, environments where creativity is not, you know, sort of valued as much. I think every field becomes narrow at some point. So if you want to bring those new ideas to old problems and find that magic and repetition, you need to look deeper within yourself or you need to get inspiration from something outside of your day-to-day -day environment. Yeah, let's just pause there for a second because I think that's really important. And um, I think of entrepreneurs right now and people that work from home and they sort of get up in the morning in their fluffy slippers and go down to their office and try and sort of cultivate this new, like what does my business want to look, uh, look like and how do I want it to uh, look like in the future? And they work and they work and they're in this vacuum mm -hmm. and how... Um, for those entrepreneurs, it's really important to figure out where else can I get my inspiration from? Mm -hmm. Is it just going to come from me or should I go to the local coffee shop and listen to some conversations or should I go? I know you're going to a conference um, 
in California coming up soon with Elizabeth Gilbert and Deepak Chopra. Mm -hmm. And you're looking for inspiration, inspiration outside of your typical environment. That, that is so, so important. Mm -hmm. So just to, to kind of close this up, do you have any last words or uh, a quote or a mantra about creativity that you can share? Mm -hmm. So um, you just mentioned the uh, upcoming retreat I'm doing with um, in California and Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the author of Big Magic. There's a beautiful quote that I actually used for inspiration when I did my most recent um, choreography uh, for the Canadian Junior National Team duet. I, I saw this quote on the back cover, so I'm going to read it, and I think it's a great way to finish off our, our talk today. Creativity is sacred, and it is not sacred. What we make matters enormously, and it doesn't matter at all. We toil alone, and we are accompanied by spirits. We are terrified, and we are brave. Art is a crushing chore and a wonderful privilege. The work wants to be made, and it wants to be made through you. So I guess I'd, you know, I'd ask um, the, the listeners today, our audience, you know, what work is sort of you know, knocking at your door that wants to be made through you? you know, many people say Martin Luther King Jr. did not have a dream. The dream chose him. So what dream wants to be made through you? Well, that's a great way to end, Sheila. Thank you so much for being a part of the Water Cooler Effect. And uh, I hope we'll have a chance to have you back. Thank you, Claire. That brings us to the end of my two-part conversation on creativity and leadership with Olympic coach Sheila Croxon. I'm Claire Carver-Dias, and this is the Water Cooler Effect.